and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape room. Today on the Designer Spotlight, we have Logan Giannini. You may be familiar with him from Enigma Emporium, and we are so excited to have him here. Woo! My name is Errol, and you may notice nobody else is here. <laughs> That's because I, well, Manpans is is actually back in school again. She's doing she's doing forensic accounting. She's doing something. I'm in the middle of Cryptex Hunt. And then, of course, on Monday, it was like, wait, we have to have a podcast this Friday. And I had been asked, I've been meaning to ask Logan for a long time. And then I just left it till the Monday. And so he graciously, graciously said, sure, I can do it in two days. And so the poor man is here now. Hello and welcome, Logan. Hello. So it wasn't a case of what? Poor loser has no plans this week. We can get last, but it wasn't. You're saying it wasn't that. It wasn't that. Now, to be fair, Logan, all of us are at home doing nothing, really. Well, not doing nothing, but can't go anywhere. So fair. I suppose that's a safe assumption this year and last year, and for as long as I can remember, it seems like. <laughs> anyway, before I get any further, maybe I can ask you to introduce yourself and give more details on who you are and why everybody already knows you. I think oh. a lot of people already know who you are, Logan. I mean, that's a big assumption, but uh, to anybody who, who doesn't, which I personally think is probably a lot of you, I'm Logan Giannini. Um, I am half of the Enigma Emporium team, so my business partner, Kiara Foss, could not join us tonight, unfortunately. It seems like there's a lot of that going around so it's just the two of us um and yeah we make at home puzzle games we were kind of on the mid early cusp of that i would say like after you know some of the big ones like hunt a killer and deadbolt started but before this real big wave that we've seen in the last i'd say 18 months um for obvious reasons um so yeah we were kind of in there right in the middle and yeah we've got a handful of games out i think eight postcard games one deck of card game um, and a new game coming to Kickstarter soon. And yeah, I make puzzles um, on the side, I guess, technically. Um, and during the day, I ran an escape room for a very long time and you know did escape room design and all that sort of thing, which definitely relates. And now I'm uh, back in the tabletop um, business industry. You know, so the I funny do... thing is, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't oh, mean no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I don't think I knew you ran an escape room. I knew you as Logan and then the wish you were here or wish we were here and Enigma Emporium, but I didn't know that you had an escape room as well. Look at all this stuff. Ah, so I was in retail tabletop, if you will, uh, you know, years, years ago. And I was living and working in Michigan and I was looking to come back to Minnesota. Uh, this is where I'm from. This is where my family is. I like it here. It's cold, but I'm okay with that. And it just, it, I don't know how escape rooms got on my radar because honestly, at the time, I had never played one in my life. I was kind of tangentially aware what they were. They were a thing that was out there. And once they got on my radar, I started telling myself, well, you know, this, this is really interesting. This kind of feeds into my game design background. I like the idea of this. I'm going to start looking into escape rooms. And amusingly, I applied for a position back here in Minnesota with one company that was just, it was prop fabrication. It was, you know, not not a big position, not in charge of anything, basically just make us things. And they turned me down because I wasn't qualified enough, which is sort of fair, but you know, 
I, I have a fair amount of, you know, theater, you know, prop design background and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, well, that's a little discouraging. And right about that time, a little ad popped up. I think I saw it on Indeed for an escape room that hadn't even opened yet. Just saying, hey, we need a operations manager. And it just kind of worked out. So I ended up helping them build out. I helped them redesign the rooms that they had designed. Because um, again, I had that game design background. And yeah, I, I ran that place, did designs for that place, basically did a little bit of everything for that place for almost five years. Wow. No. And actually met Kiara there. She was my assistant manager for a while. Oh, wow. So look at that. Escape rooms bringing people together, as we know. And locking them in. <laughs> so they can't escape. And then you find a partner. Now, I, before we go any further, too, you've been talking about your past in game room design. So how did you get started? In fact, what is your puzzle origin story? There's so much I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I mean, I've known so... you for years. The, oh, well, <laughs> the funny thing, I for the second Cryptex hunt, I do believe I've got you to uh, send me a puzzle, too. So that's probably the one. For the, the, for the magazine, things, yep. Yeah, for the magazines. So that's one of the few things that we collaborated on. So I've known you for a long time. But look at all this new stuff. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm a failure when it comes well, to interviewing. No, I don't. I don't. I love talking about puzzles and stuff, but I don't always love talking about myself. You know, it's more just like, no, 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 I'm not important. Let's look at the games. Let's focus on those. So a lot of it's not out there. Like, you know, there's there's a reason you haven't heard a lot of this stuff before. It's You've that I don't really talk it. about it too much. So this is the real behind the scenes. <laughs> um, so no. So when I say I had a background in game design, not escape rooms, background in board game design. So, you know, um, you know, that industry, I, I worked before the escape room for many years for a company called Marbles the Brain Store. Um, I don't think you had them in Canada, but if, if you're listening or watching and you're in the States, you may have known them. At their height, there were maybe 23 or 25 locations across the country. Um, and it was it was a board game shop curated to, uh, you know, brain boosting games, oh. uh, which is a, a clever conceit. But at the same time, I, I would argue that most board games are brain boosting. Um, that's just how they work. Anyway, so my background was, you know, working for them, doing some game design on my own, doing a little bit of, you know, game design work for them. And then when it came to escape rooms, I just made it up as I went along. Um, the the pro and the con of taking that position, I think I was hired because of my management experience. The bonus was my mishmash of, you know, theater and design and, you know, game design experience and just kind of a general feeling of, oh, I'll figure it out. I'll make it work and generally figuring it out and making it work. So the pro and the con for the escape room was... I didn't have any basis for it. I did not know, apart from immediately going around and playing everywhere in the Twin Cities at the time and just going, okay, well, what do these feel like from a player perspective? I had no designer perspective. I had no management perspective, um, which turned out in retrospect, I think that was a very good thing because I didn't have those preconceived notions of this is how it has to be done. I just got to look at it and go, well, what makes the most sense? What is the best way to do this? So we ran our rooms, I think, very differently at the time. And in terms of design, I just made it up. I, I just went, what, what's going to work? Let's try this. Let's play test this. Okay, that doesn't work. Let's try it another way. And yeah, I, I did not have any particular escape room experience before that point. A little bit of puzzle experience and an enjoyment of puzzles, but yeah, no escape room experience. And then after that... That's when you started to get into 
your take-home experiences. And as you said, you were one of the earlier first ones out there. I know there was Hunt a Killer, as you said, and Deadbolt. But so what made you get started in that, considering, you know, it wasn't all the rage that it was down? Yeah, I, I, I like doing what I'm around. So when I worked for a tabletop gaming company, even though I was mainly on the retail side, I was really into tabletop games. I was surrounded by them. So that is where the design part of my brain went to. As soon as I was in the escape room business for an appreciable amount of time, that's where my the design part of my brain went to as well. Um, just started getting all those ideas, really enjoying being immersed in that industry. And I think the big thing was just seeing the potential for where it could go and where it was going to have to go. Um, the, the kind of linchpin point <laughs> where it started, I, I always liked design. Um, I meant to start a little board game studio for a long time. Um, it fell apart for various reasons, but I still had that in the back of my head that I wanted to do some design work for myself autonomously. Um, but in the escape room, I was like, oh, this is a great forum for this. So I remember I had a meeting with one of the, I didn't own the escape room. I just ran it. Uh, I had a meeting with one of the people who did own it and we sat down and I just laid out all these things. And I, it was probably too much in retrospect, but I basically just said, Hey, the escape room's great. Business is good. Here are all the things we should do over the next two years. We should do mobile escape rooms. We should do at home, you know, escape games in a box. Like I, I basically pitched this whole business plan and kind of the feedback I got was, okay, well, if you want to pursue that, go ahead and, and, and we'll do it. And I was like, well, well, that's not very enthusiastic, so I'm just going to do it myself. Um, and again, I'm very glad it worked out that way because it's, you know, Kiara and I's company instead of somebody else's now. If they had run with it, it very easily could have belonged to somebody else. Um, and, you know, we were familiar with escape rooms and some of the offerings that were out there, like Deadbolt and... I think the one actually, funnily enough, that we were most familiar with was Mysterious Package Company, which is not really that puzzle oriented. Mm -hmm. um, and we looked at it and said, OK, these all look great. What do we want to do that's different? What is what are we bringing to the table? What is our spin on it? And at the time, puzzles the would be it, considering Mysterious Package Company and Hunt the Killer. <laughs> uh, to be fair, Deadbolt, I, I love Deadbolt. Deadbolt does a great job of like, hey, here's a good, you know, experience. Here's good puzzles. Um, I was quite a fan of Deadbolt at the time. But the biggest thing we looked at, especially compared to the two you mentioned, Hunter Killer and, you know, Mysterious Package Company, was the price. We kind of looked at it and said, well, people should be able to do this for, you know, the cost of an escape room ticket or less. And the biggest motivating factor between our first game being postcards was we wanted something people could buy into for, you know, 15 bucks. And I think on the Kickstarter, it was 12. Um, so really, really cheap way to sample it and see, is this for me? Do I like this? As opposed to going, well, gosh, do I want to spend $80 or $100 and then maybe not like it? Um, and I'm glad we did because, you know, it's not for everybody. Like I completely understand people are going to not like our games. Um, hopefully a lot more of them do like it, but it's a very, it's a niche industry. And I think our spot inside the industry is a niche inside of that niche. No, I totally, I totally get that. I have a lot of people that don't like me as we are. <laughs> so it's, uh, <laughs> I have very niche things that some people think, okay, this is okay. I've got to waste time. So let's do that. It's all good. Yeah. And then you were mentioning though, you started 
doing Kickstarters at a very young age then as well. So you must be a veteran of those. How many yeah. have you done? So, and this is or doing. takes me way back before puzzles, before the games. Um, I started backing Kickstarters six, seven years ago, maybe longer. Um, I'd have to go back and check. And then I ran my very first Kickstarter back, I want to say it was 2004. Ooh, um, wow. Somewhere around. The, oh, my gosh. Is that that's in my head? Time. In my head, I'm going back only six years ago. That's not bad. But I just realized, no, that, that's 17 <laughs> years ago. You're, you're old, Logan. It must have been. It must have been. Not 2004. It's probably 2007 now that I'm thinking about it. Still a long time ago. I still don't want to think about it. But uh, I ran a Kickstarter for the first issue of a comic book I was trying to get off the ground. Um, and it was Kickstarter was a very different place back then. This was back and you still see people coming to it with this mindset. But this was in the days where, you know, a little bit of effort and, and people would find you. It was not this huge sprawling jungle that it is now it was a little platform that drew a lot of people it got a lot of traffic so if you had something decent just being on kickstarter was enough you didn't have to do your own marketing bring your own audience you know in the same way that you do today so somehow you know this kid who didn't know what he was doing managed to i think i raised about five grand uh, to produce wow. this first issue of a comic book Whoa, um, that's impressive and wow. it was it was super fun uh, nothing ever came of it. That's another story. It almost did for a long time, but it never got finished. Uh, the issue did. Like everybody got their issue and whatnot, but the the complete series never happened. But I've been backing things on Kickstarter then ever since. So when the Enigma Emporium started, it, we never really thought about anything else other than Kickstarter. I think we always knew that was going to be the way we launched. And that was launched when do you remember was it just four i think years it was ago? 2018 oh, okay okay so almost four th four years ago look at that yeah so I'm, I'm pretty sure if i'm getting my dates right we formed our llc legally in february of 2018 and i think we ran the first kickstarter that june i want to say or maybe september um it was towards the end of the year it must have been september because i remember we ended up shipping you know in that whole time frame when you really don't want to be shipping. Mm -hmm. um, and of course we were, cause we didn't know any better at the time. It was like, Oh, okay. We're shipping at Christmas. This is great. <laughs> we made so many mistakes. We were also thinking, Hey, it's envelopes. This will be great. We can just slap a stamp on it and ship it. He got so beat up in the mail. Like we immediately pivoted to bubble mailers and, Oh, you, you learn so much from the mistakes you make and very little from the successes. So mistakes are great. Ooh. Yeah, no, no, no. Very true. That's, you know, as I said, I think the only reason I can get better at things I'm doing is because I have so much haters. So really, you can just learn from all the mistakes. Now, you mentioned before that your partner, Kiara, Kiara also is part of the company as well. Mm -hmm. So how do you split? What are the different skill sets you both bring? It's. I think it's largely design aesthetic. Like we both have the, you know, oh, I'm good with this program or I'm good with this program, but I think we just both approach the puzzle design differently and we don't design, this is going to sound a little bit wrong and kind of bad, but we don't design collaboratively. That's, that's not how we tend to work. We design more iteratively. Like I design the thing and then show it to her. She plays it. You know, we're usually each other's first play tester for new games. And that's where we get the first 
feedback loop of, well, this is terrible. This needs work. This is okay. Um, and then, you know, we iterate and we go out to other playtesters and whatnot. But really, I think we just both, we enjoy different styles of puzzles sometimes, but I think what drew us together was we kind of had a, a shared vision. Um, we wanted, you know, there was the price point that I mentioned, but we wanted concise puzzles. We both were drawn to those games. And this came out of escape rooms. I hate escape rooms where you don't know what the puzzle is, where the puzzle is going, what's important here? What are all these things? I like going in going, okay, oh, here's a puzzle I need to solve. I don't care if it's a hard puzzle and that's what's going to absorb my time. But I, I don't like not knowing. And that was something we really wanted to bring to the Enigma Emporium was here's your stuff. You're, you're not going to be at a loss for where the puzzles are. It's solving them that's going to be challenging. You're not getting this massive box with, you know, tons of papers and doodads and bits and bobs that you have to go, well, is this just a thing or is do I do something with this? Like, you know, you know what you've gotten. We both felt very strongly about that. You know, the funny thing is when you said that it kind of sounds a little bit wrong that you develop iteratively <laughs> as opposed to collaboratively, that's probably how I develop as well. So when I design with collaborators, I usually just tell them, you go, you do what you want, and then I will help you iterate and I will give you suggestions. But this is your baby because you have in a way, you have a style that is you. And I don't want to interrupt that style because I know through puzzle designs with collab. Sorry, I know from collaborating with a number of people, we have very different visions on what we want in our puzzles. So like Darren Miller, who helps me with the cryptic mm -hmm. side, I don't mm -hmm. even touch his stuff half the time because he he has a different, not only a different aesthetic, but even a different philosophy on what he wants to do in this puzzle. And and then I don't want to bring my philosophies like, no, no, I wouldn't do this in my puzzle, but that's me. Mm -hmm. And that's my exactly. style. I think yeah. I think my favorite quote, and it's it's on writing, but I think it applies to design across the board. It, it's one of Neil Gaiman's, he did a, a 10 or a 14 rules of writing. And the one that always stuck with me was, and I'm paraphrasing here, when somebody tells you to change something and how it should be, they're usually wrong. When somebody tells you what doesn't work for them or what they don't get, they're usually right. And that that has always resonated and it's it's true here too. Like you, you've got to let that designer kind of have their vision, have their process. And then you can tell them this, I'm not getting this, but you've always got to be careful. And I'm terrible at this. My instinct is always to apply my own design sense to it and go, oh, you should fix it like this. And I've got to bite my tongue. I'm really bad at it, but I try to bite my tongue. Yeah, the only reason I would probably put any any kind of footprint on it is if the person doesn't understand their style yet because they're new or it's just simply, I mean, because, you know, a puzzle can be broken and I'll mm -hmm. just say, look, this is broken here. So maybe you want to try this or this. It's just broken. Uh, so if you can fix yep. it, go for it, right? So. And I think... <laughs> I think puzzle design is very different from board game design. And I'm seeing that right now because, you know, in my day job, I'm doing board game design. And, you know, for Enigma Emporium, I'm doing the puzzle design. And it's it's totally different. You can't, I mean, you can, but collaborating on a puzzle robs you of that valuable first feedback. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in, in your head, it's one way. And you're telling yourself, hey, this is going to work. I'm envisioning it like so. It's perfect because why would you design it otherwise? When on paper, 
as you said, it, it might entirely be broken. Um, and you, you really, it's funny. I, I see on, on the forums and, and whatnot and in the puzzle people group, I'll see new creators asking sometimes like, Hey, do you play test? You know, what are your feelings? Do you need play testing? And <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. Like I rushed to just type it out. Like, yes, please play test as oh, much as yeah. possible. Because yeah. the puzzles are never, if you think it's easy, it's probably too hard. If you think yeah. it's hard, it's probably too easy and they're going to solve it at a glance. Like, you cannot predict how your puzzles are going to be received in the same way you can a board game. No, that's true. And it's funny. I remember that post because I immediately jumped on it as well. <laughs> it's just like, no, you have to play test. You must play test. That's it's the so only... important. Oh, it's super important. And it's sad because... Like a lot of the puzzle hunts and a lot of the things that I do, I, I can't find that many or it's not as easy to get play testers. And that's that's usually a problem because, I mean, for a lot of people, once you get a bigger fan base and then they don't want to play test because they want your your stuff. Right. Yep. And then, nah, then you got to find new play testers. And that's that that's a very fair, you know, thing, too. If you, you like this experience, you don't want to spoil it by play testing the probably a little bit crummy version of it before it gets really good. Um, we're, we're lucky. We have a little core group of playtesters. It's funny. You mentioned Darren Miller. He's one of our playtesters um, who just all of our projects go through uh, these people sometimes together in little groups, but more often than not one at a time and we'll take it. We'll you know take the feedback. We'll redesign it. We'll you know plug it back into the next one to go through that group. Um, the, the plan was, I, I say the plan was we wanted to pay them, not, you know, a ton, because if we don't have a ton, we'd love to pay ourselves a ton. Um, but again, to to give that value, because they're giving good value. That's one of the things I recommend to people looking for playtesters is pay them, even if it's, you know, not a lot. Pay them what you can, because, you know, you have to show that you value them. They're providing their time. Um, not all of ours accepted, but, you know, we always made that available. I think that's super important because it's it's a very important part of the process. For Not sure. Very important. So if anybody gets anything from this podcast is that playtesting is important, super important. Yeah. Yeah. It's so very important. So you mentioned, and people may not know about it, but I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners do, is the Puzzle, the Puzzle People Facebook group. Now, I think, is it Angela that's like the main lead mod or is it a group effort? I just see all Angela is definitely most active, I would say, in the group. Um, so it was it was born out of another group. There was and I was I, I don't know if you were in there. I was partially in there, but there was some political drama. One of the people who ran that group or owned that group just started banning people left and right for very dubious political reasons that I will not get into here. And I happened to be online. I got myself and Kiara banned, even though she wasn't involved. I was just like, well, if you're going to do this, then you might as well ban us both. And then immediately messaged her was like, so I just did this. I think I got us banned. I'm sorry. And then I just immediately pivoted. was like, well, I'm going to make my own group. And, you know, I'm sure people are going to want to join it. I did immediately, like all of the current mods, um, there's Rita, Matthew and Angela we're all in there on the first night, like immediately. Wait, like, is that Matthew Stein or is that a different Matthew? Different, different. Okay. Um, and you know, a couple of them had been admins in the other group when it went up in flames and 
Rita had gotten banned and I was like, hey, you you come come do this thing with me. And part of it was it was started, obviously, because of the drama. And I was like, this is this is dumb. Drama is usually dumb. Um, but looking at the other group, I was like, well, I think I think we can make a better community anyway. So let's go make a better community. And it's I've been blown away by how well received it is. I'm not super active, but I love seeing how active people are on there. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I keep I keep talking about it to anybody I know when they hear me like so I'm not so I'm not a mod in it or anything. So this is not even me trying to push this group. It's just that it is it is a very engaging group where there are a lot of creators but there are a lot of players just really excited about take home puzzle games and it's fun to see these discussions that come up and even new creators that come up and i know we were kind of teasing them about the beta testing things but i'm glad that they asked and i really hope they know how important it is because you can learn a lot because there's so many creators as well on that group and, they're and quite i think i think that is so key so I've been in groups and I'm still in some groups where it's, I mean, somewhere it's all creators. It's like, Hey, we do this. You know, we all have our own little companies and that's great. Like there's valuable information there. I've been in the consumer side where, you know, there aren't really visible creators. I'm sure they're there, but it's really just a, you know, customer consumer side and just those two coming together in a good way. Like there, there have been moments where, you know, Anybody, it's art. People are going to take art very personally, both as a creator and a consumer. But for the most part, it's been very respectful, very polite. Um, and I have to say the moderator team has done a fantastic job working to keep it that way. And really valuable information comes out of that because you're going to get different answers depending on which group you ask any given question. And getting both of those data points, so good. So helpful. So I think it like grew to how many, like in a very short amount of time. It's pretty cool. It's, we're up to about 1400, I think, which mm. when I say it out loud, doesn't sound that large, but considering again, this is kind of the publicity thing. We don't do any marketing. Like I'll mention it. If somebody, you know, asks something related to it, I'll go, Oh, Hey, go ask that question. in you know, the puzzle people games and mysteries group. But for the most part, it's just organic growth. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And some spammers for app games, but you know you're gonna <laughs> get that. <laughs> oh dear! Oh my goodness! We I get so many spam applications for the Facebook enthusiast group. Mm -hmm. No idea. It's I think it's like thirty. Sorry, I may do about twenty a day. I don't know how many the other mods get, and it's just like decline, decline, decline. Twenty yep. a freaking day, and then the other mods are doing it too. It's like. Where are you all coming from? It's like, oh and then goodness. one sneaks through and it's like five posts in 10 <laughs> minutes. It's like, nope, 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 delete, block. <laughs> but no, that, that group has been phenomenal. I'm really glad that it's kind of found legs of its own. Uh, yeah. It's been fun to watch. I really enjoy the discussions that happen in there. And so, as I said, it's like, I'll just happily jump on a discussion in there. Cause that's like, it's a lot of fun. And then I can, I mean, the other cool thing is, is that I can find all these designers and then I can say, Hey, you want to be on my podcast? Cause they're all there. <laughs> and I definitely, I try one of the areas I try to be most proactive behind the scenes is if I see somebody talking about a new game where I, I don't recognize the designer or I don't think they're already in the group, I try to reach out and go, hey, there's this conversation happening. I 
like to invite you to come be part of it because I think that could be valuable for you and I know it's valuable for the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, there's a lot of great discussions that's happening on there. So if anybody's listening in, Puzzle People Group, you might have to apply, that's though. where it's at. Applied. Hide your wallet first. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually a bad person because I kind of, I, I admit that before Christmas, I just stopped. I just stopped on Kickstarters. <laughs> had to and then all the and that was the problem right because by what happened at christmas i think everybody's covid projects culminated mm-hmm. their goal was christmas and then boom and i thought i give up and that <laughs> i think i mentioned this tangentially earlier but that that's kind of where 2020 got crazy because you know like i said we were on the cusp like we were some of the first little indie ones um, you know, after a few of the bigger players in the field and then 2020 happened and just, it got a lot harder to stand out. It all of a sudden it wasn't, Hey, there's a few of us doing this cool thing, you know, choose from the seven of us. It was, Oh, Oh, every, every escape room in the country, in the world is doing a take home experience. Whoa. It just ballooned and it was great. Like, I love having that many options out there, but from a business side of things, it was a little overwhelming. Um, It it kind of, I mean, obviously COVID caught everybody off guard, but the business ramifications definitely caught us off guard. No, very true. Because I think you were mentioning before that you don't market as much and marketing. (laughs) No, well, (laughs) we've dabbled off and on. My philosophy has always been, I don't want the most customers. I want the right customers. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're a niche within, within a niche. Some people, a lot of people, it's not going to be for them. It's a very specific flavor. And the people who love it, love it. And they're going to want to come back for more. And I want to find those people. But I, I, I don't want the people who aren't going to like it to waste their money on it. You know, spend nope. your money on something that you're going to like more. Find the thing that's right for you. Um yeah, I totally but yeah, it's, agree. it's yeah. harder to get found now that there are just so many options out there. Long time ago, I used to be in a little duo nerd band, and I wouldn't really promote my stuff on my Facebook group because it was super niche, and I didn't want people to come out of guilt and then hate being there. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, this is my music, and I do have people in the audience that really love it. And you can see it on their faces. I don't want the people going like, okay, do I have to stay? And of course, longer? those are the ones that stick with you. Like a hundred <laughs> people love it and you're like, okay, good. And then one person has that look on their face and you're like, oh, I'm a failure, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Although I would say, but, but, it, but it's hard to find them. And that was always my problem back then. It's just like some people would come up and up to me and say, how on earth did I not know of you earlier? And we're going, I don't know. I'm trying really hard. I'm trying to find you, the person that cares. And for some reason, no matter where I go, I can't seem to find the right channel to get to you. But I'm really trying. And it's usually just patience. A lot of it is just patience and just keep on trying. But it, I remember, I actually stopped because I was spending too much time uh, the I quit the we quit the band not because we weren't doing very well but because I was spending too much time on it and it was still just a hobby, but I do remember my my youngest my eldest child at the time says yeah I don't see daddy on weekends anymore and I'm thinking oh, okay oh, yeah stop this <laughs> so and then then I got into like 
puzzles, and so I just doesn't stop. The, the, the key is just to get the kids into the things that you're into, and then, you know, it's not hobby time, it's together family time. Mm-hmm. That's what I do with online video games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm one to talk. My, my wife does not particularly like board games or puzzles or <laughs> video games or any of that. <laughs> you were mentioning before that you also do play or you also create board games. So what are you creating board games? So I've, I've done it as a hobby for a long time. I've had my own designs, um, most of them unpublished, a few of them in various states of publication. Um, like I've got some pending stuff with various companies that I won't say out loud because I don't want to jinx it. Mm-hmm. Um, but most recently, and... Uh, I've, I've known them for a while. There's a company here in the Twin Cities called Chip Theory Games. I think you know of them. Uh, they put out Too Many Bones is probably their best-known title. Cloudspire, uh, Hoplomachus, Triplock. You know, um, oh, wow. They do Too Many Bones? Wow. Yes, and they're, they're local here. I met them local. four years ago-ish when that I bought my first copy. way too much of my money. Let's just say that. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm right there with you because up until recently I was just buying everything, um, and that's how I met them. Is I knew they were local, and uh, for those who don't know, too many bones weighs like ten pounds. Just the base game, uh, it's a heavy game. So and then I, I just looked kept at the shipping. buying the expansions. Don't even like you gotta have it all. Like no. you've got to. But I looked at the shipping and and realized, well, you're a ten minute drive from me. I'll just come pick it up if that's okay. That is, cool. and you know they're they're still a smallish operation they were a lot smaller then it was you know a couple of guys in a warehouse and that's when i met them and you know started talking kind of hit it off and i wanted to do stuff with them for a long time i ended up doing some enigma emporium stuff um we designed kiara and i designed the splice and dice riddle um each of their core too many bones games has a secret puzzle experience yes this and i so, heard it from you wasn't mm-hmm, it mm-hmm, I was probably about that, then like, I go back and look at it. your game <laughs> <laughs> and so we designed that we did some other stuff that i can't actually talk about yet uh, but i i had you know worked with them and then uh, you know covid was a weird year uh, the escape room i worked at was shut down for three or four months but they had some payroll loans, so I wasn't working, but I was still paid, which was lucky. I would have rather been working, but at least I was technically employed. Um, we opened back up again then for a little bit, and towards the end of the year, and this is kind of two stories that are coming together, I promise. I'm not a storyteller, but these threads are going to entwine. I started doing some part-time uh, contract development work with Chip Theory, uh, working on their, well, kind of two things, their Hoplomachus redesign, re-release, as well as kind of a new Hoplomachus big solo experience called Victora. Um, and that's not secret information. That's on Board Game Geek, I promise. So I'm not spilling the beans there. But I was doing that part-time. And when the second shutdown here in Minnesota hit, there was no more money. There were no more loans. So I got laid off. I was unemployed for about a month. But you know, in that time, I, I went to them and said, hey, if, if you want to you know, bring me on full-time, now is the time. Uh, you know, kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I had wanted to work for them for, you know, a long time. They're fantastic people. It's a fantastic company. And it it worked out. Like they talked amongst themselves. And they're like, yeah, come on, come, come work full time for us. That is and so cool. I didn't that's, know. That's only been about two months know? now. Oh, oh, that's why I don't know. It's been. Yeah. Oh, wow. That well, is... less. It was it was at the end of December. So it's been a little over a month. That full-time. is so wild. My daughter and I love Too Many Bones. You know what the problem with Too Many Bones is? Is the amount of time you need to invest 
for a longer than a what is it the the very first game we played like three times but they took three hours each <laughs> and I thought, okay and i so desperately want to go to the other ones but i know okay i've got to set aside seven hours <laughs> At least it's heavy enough. All the pieces weigh a ton. It's not going to go anywhere if you leave it set up. Like, it'll stay there. <laughs> yeah, I can't really leave it around the household. I don't have a big enough space, but I want to. Oh, my goodness. Because we had so much fun. Because even just exploring your character. And just, anyway, I'm... Well, that's yeah. the thing. Each character in that game is, is like a whole game within a game. Yeah. And it, it is a steep learning curve. It's, a, um, I, it, it's funny. I never thought I would say this, but I actually, I love Too Many Bones. I like their game Cloudspire even better. Ooh, it speaks to the puzzler in me, mm-hmm. especially the solo campaigns, because basically you set up the enemy and then they're marching towards you doing things based on a very clear set of rules. And you can predict those behaviors, but you've got to set up your own thing. It, it's kind of power defense but it's, it's set up and go. And you're trying to solve this puzzle of these scenarios. And I got really into that during the first lockdown when I had nothing to do and played a ton of it and for puzzle people and people who enjoy those kinds of, you know, logical and, and whatnot um, challenges. Cloudspire is fantastic. And again, super wow. heavy. <laughs> it's ways a ton. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, the, that's another thing too. I think I had to order it straight from their site at the time. You probably still have to order. It's you can't mostly get it. true. Yeah. So funny thing, and this is this is again kind of where these these threads intertwine of of my life. Um, a lot of the inspiration for how we set up and ran the Enigma Emporium was based on me, <coughs> excuse me, watching Chip Theory and how they operated. They are Kickstarter only. Um, you know, minus a few little promo packs and stuff. They release their games on Kickstarter. And then they sell directly to the consumer. And, you know, that's largely because of, you know, margins. Like they can't afford, you know, their games are so well produced. As you know, they are just lavish and beautiful. But it would cost too much to go through distribution services. And it would price people out of playing them. And the the people are waterproof, just in case anybody wants. The cards are waterproof. (laughs) They're PVC. It's insane. I love it. Um, but But I looked at how they were operating and... You know, I knew we were not going to find distribution for, you know, our little puzzle games. That wasn't something we really pursued. It wasn't really something we were aiming for because, again, we didn't want to find all the wrong people. Um, And so we kind of modeled our, you know, business plan off of watching Chip Theory and how they operated and, you know, the Kickstarter campaigns and (laughs) a little, little note in the middle of that is we tried after we had done a few, you know, successful Kickstarters releasing something straight to the web store and it did not go well. It did not go well. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Kickstarter, you have one that's actually, is it, has it, is it, it's not out yet. No, no, no. It is. Nope. Yet. No. Right. So yeah, our, our next game is uh, going to be called funny pages. It is, it's a departure, I would say. So in, in a few ways, one, everything we've done so far exists in the same world. All the postcard games and carte rouge take place in the same universe and are kind of loosely tied to each other. Like there are threads that connect them and places where if you're really paying attention and you play them all, you know, kind of in close succession. So it's fresh in your mind. You can see where things intersect. And, you know, they're all kind of crime based and serious and funny pages is completely different. It's 
maybe it takes place in that universe, but it's certainly not related uh, to the you know happenings in any of those games. And it is bright, it is funny, and the central concept, uh, as you have seen, um, and you know we've been sharing previews, is all the puzzles are hidden in one panel, you know Sunday style comics. So think Far Side, but little bit bigger in dimension and, you know, full color and beautifully illustrated. And it's this, you know, whole set of these and the puzzles are laced. There is kind of one core puzzle laced into each of these comics. Um, and the, yeah, coming to Kickstarter soon-ish. And is it one <laughs> artist for all of it? Yes. Um, I'm trying to decide how how much into the backstory of this it's worth getting. I, I did a webcomic for many years. I started it <laughs> I started it. You I'm gonna a feel lot of old again. That you do. <laughs> I, I, my wife would tell you I can't stand not being busy, and it's true. I, I love just creating things. Um, but I started doing a comic back in college, um, college newspaper. Uh, it transitioned to being a web comic after that. I ran that off and on for probably four or five years. And I, I worked with four or five different artists. Because again, I didn't have any money. I basically had to look for people and it wasn't making any money, Lord knows. Uh, so basically anybody who wanted a fun little thing every now and then, I'd work with them for a while, then they'd get busy and move on. And eventually I found, uh, his name is Alexander Jovic. And I found him online. I had a little more money at that point. So you know, I started paying him and he was phenomenal. His art was probably the best of anybody I, I ever worked with on the comic. And he brought so much creativity to it. I would send him a script and he would send back, a, well, how about this little flourish and things that hadn't occurred to me, but should have. And I just went, this, this is brilliant. So I, I did the webcomic with him for many years. And I honestly, I don't know exactly where the idea for funny pages came from. If it was, I love doing webcomics, I wanna make it a puzzle. Or if it was, a, I need the next puzzle project. Hey, comics would be fun. Like it, it, I loved writing that webcomic. And I think it was always in the back of my head. And I always knew that if I came back to that in any form, it would be with the same artist. So it's all illustrated by him. And it's, it's fantastic. And although we didn't really discuss it, you have brought up different people that you've enjoyed working with. And I would say when you can find those people throughout your career that are a dream to work with, you hold on to them. You pay them, you do anything you can to work with them again, because finding people you can work with is is difficult. <laughs> oh, it's it's so hard. And the right people make you better. You make each other better. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a rare thing, especially for somebody as pig-headed as I am. I, I like working by myself, but I like better finding the right person to work with, for sure, when you can. Mm -hmm. No, so very true. And so you were saying you hope that will release sometime soon. So you it was know. going to be originally it was originally planned for spring of last year. That should tell you a little bit about the timeline that we're on. Um, spring of 2020. And then obviously COVID happened. All the shipping disruptions happened. Yeah, this is our first uh, cart rouge was a little bit different because it's it's a deck of cards. So we were working with a card manufacturer, but it was a very simple project in scope, um, very elaborate in execution, but simple in scope. It's a deck of cards. This is our first kind of big project. It's you know going to be pitched more like you know a board game. Like here's your box, open it up. Here's you know the stuff. Again, the core of it is those comics, but there's a little more to it than that. And it's our first time 
doing a project like that with an overseas manufacturer. Oh. And it's going, you know, really well, but it's, it, it's a learning experience. And when COVID hit, we just, Kara and I kind of, you know, looked at each other and not literally, but metaphorically looked at each other and said, we probably want to put this on hold and make sure we understand the new dynamics of the marketplace, understand the new logistics. I'm not entirely convinced we still do, but we kind of put that one on the back burner, kept it going. It's been fully designed for probably eight months or so. Mm -hmm. Um, it has been done and ready to go, you know, from a actual nuts and bolts puzzle perspective for a long time now. But we put that one on the back burner and did another set of the postcard games because logistically much easier. We're not working with overseas. Um, it's much, much simpler to execute. And we knew we could do that. So that was our 2020 project instead of funny pages. And we're, again, we're, we're close now. We're actually maybe a week or two away from ordering our pre-press copies from the manufacturer. Hmm. And, you know, we'll be checking those, obviously making sure everything looks good, sending them off to, you know, media uh, and reviewers. And so we're getting closer, but we don't want to say a date out loud yet because it keeps changing. Yeah, I, I hear you. So you've been as one of the mods of the puzzle people and then being entrenched in design for a really long time and seeing a lot of new people come on board. If you were to give any type of design advice other than playtesting, because that's super important. <laughs> super important. Gonna, they should have learned that by now. <laughs> any other type of design advice you'd like to give to budding new designers in this new 2021 still COVID world? I The thing that I find I keep saying to people... Um, when you know they're asking for advice or they're asking if they should even get into this business is design what you want to design, design the puzzles that you like. Um, if you're getting into it, well, for starters, if you're getting into it for money, stop right now. That's <laughs> not going to end the way you hope it's going to end. Um, but if, if you're getting into it to please everybody, to design something that appeals to everybody to, to go, Oh, this is popular. I want to design something like this. Don't. Don't. Your heart and soul is not going to be in it. Look at what you like. Design. If, if what you like lines up with that, if you go, I love this and I want to do more of this, absolutely. But really design what you want to design and the way you want to design. And you know, you're, you're going to end up with something that is more unique and just better from coming from that place of passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's also hard, too, to understand that if somebody doesn't like your stuff, that's not really you. It's just that people like different styles of different things. I now really only do online digital things. And I know some people think, yeah, I don't want online digital stuff. I can do that anytime. I want physical things. Don't give me any of this online nonsense. And, you know, that's just it. But that's what I'm going to do. So... And these are, it's, it's, I know it can be hard, as you said, when you have creatives and artists in there, they might get it. And, and absolutely, like I, I say it like it's, it's an easy thing, like design what you want to design. You're going to spend your whole design career second guessing yourself and going, well, gosh, I know we said we were going to do this, but why aren't we as popular as blank? Or, you know, why aren't our sales as good as, you know, this, these folks over here? Like, I know we're different, but we're just as good at like, it's, it wears you down. You have to keep coming back to that core. No, we're making what we want to make. And, you know, really those messages to anybody out there who has thought about writing to, you know, a company or a creator and just saying, hey, I really like this. Do it. 
we love hearing it. Like, honestly, it doesn't happen super often. And it makes our day to just go, oh, you had a good experience playing something that we spent, you know, a year making. It makes our day. And it helps the other stuff kind of fade to the periphery, too. Because as you said, a lot of it, there, there is good and bad design. Don't get me wrong. It, it's True. not 100% subjective. There's good and bad design. But within that, there are elements that, as you said, boil down to taste. There is just going to be, I like this style of game. And that was a real bumpy road early on. I remember one uh, incident in particular where we had somebody who we had reached out to to review one of our games who told us early on, like, I hate extraction. I hate decoding things. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, don't review this then because you're going to hate it. And that's fine. And it, it was horrible because this person insisted on reviewing it. And it was the meanest thing I have ever read. Oh. And that was only half as mean as the stuff that, you know, was emailed, not in their review. But it was just like, why did you push yourself to do this when you knew and I knew you weren't going to like it? Like, it, you know, some of it is taste. And that's 100% fine. Yeah, no, it's very true. And it's sometimes it's hard to even to tell enthusiasts that, you know, your taste doesn't mean the game is bad. It's just that it's your taste. So, but I do agree with you, but there is still a such a thing as bad design though. Totally. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was really interesting getting back just like different. I, it shocks me how varied people's design aesthetics are. I know that when I was doing recon and I did the ARG with Augie, we were two different designers, and I think it even showed when people were playing us. Like, it's almost like, oh, I think we can tell who designed which puzzle because we were so different. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's good because when you play a game, you trust the patterns that are set in the game and you follow those patterns to help you solve things. And so when you have, like, when I did the magazine, we had, most of those were Darren's puzzles, but then I threw in a puzzle and everybody was so used to Darren's puzzles and then my stupid one comes along and nobody knows what to do because <laughs> I am so completely different on how I design puzzles that it, it, it even further alienated those from even solving it. And that's, and that's just it. We have two different design aesthetics. And so... Yeah, so I still totally agree with you that that you know sometimes you can't collab with someone else unless you really are more of a you're more of the sidecar person, as you said, you are helping them iterate. But well, and this this is where it's really nice having a community like Puzzle People or you know the Escape Room Enthusiast Group because every designer or company or you know collaborative group has their own internal rules. You know, some escape rooms, it's keep your feet on the floor. Sometimes it's no, go ahead and you can climb and do this and that. Uh, everywhere does it differently. And you can't expect the players to know that going in. So it's, it's really nice right. to have those communities to go. Here's what I like. Recommend. Can you recommend stuff that's in that field, in that vein? Because mm -hmm. uh, you can't tell by looking at a box or looking at an escape room website. You know, you have no idea until you go in. And neither of those things are cheap. So, yeah. No, it's very true. Some of them are pretty pricey. And what you were saying, uh, another good thing is that you can you can have someone else that isn't that doesn't think like you test your game and see how yep. far they get. <laughs> I'll test Darren's game. And they're going, yeah, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> He'll test mine and be stuck for it. It's like, oh, are you stuck? Oh. <laughs> I 
didn't want you to get stuck there. <laughs> and actually, that, that I think that kind of ties into the the playtesting thing. You don't want just anybody and everybody playtesting your game either. Like you know what you're trying to design. Find playtesters who like the kind of thing that you're shooting for. Because if it's not that, they'll tell you. And if it is that, they'll tell you, and you can you can trust that feedback. Because um, again, if you find somebody who hates your style of game and is playtesting it, that's not going to be useful feedback. They're not going to like it, but it's not going to provide changes that you want to make or even should make. Although it's fun, a lot of a lot of fun things about you know when it comes to when it comes to board game or puzzle design or take home, there's still so much to explore and experiment with. And that's why I still enjoy doing it because I like to try different things. For that matter, I have all these grandiose ideas that I wish I could put into place, but I just don't have time to do it. <sighs> so I, put, I park <laughs> it away somewhere and think, oh, eventually I'll get a chance to try this next one day, right? Yeah. I can it's, it's, it, you tell yourself that and then like I I I play in in little concentrated you know bursts but I don't have that much time to play the things that I really want to play I, I don't play many board games anymore although mm -hmm. that's more down to COVID and not having anybody to play with but even the puzzle games I don't find the time for them anymore it's probably been a couple months and you know the last time I sat down and I played three or four of them in a day or two and I it was so good it felt so refreshing and then here I am two months later and I haven't played one. Yeah. Nope. I hear you. I mean, the, the I was mentioning before, not on this podcast, probably on previous ones, that I play a lot of online escape rooms now because I can play them with my family. Mm -hmm. Where it's harder to play take-home games with my family. So my family that live in other cities. And so it's been actually wonderful constantly. I probably keep in touch with them more now because I'm doing that. So, but when... Uh, but it's hard for me to play a solo game right now because I'm either working on a project, so I can't do a solo game. And then if it's solo, then I can't spend time with my family. So it's it's hard. It's this these balancing acts as, as when you create things, you have to find the time to do stuff. Oh, well, yes. No, uh, online just, escape rooms, though, I, I it's funny. I played my first one not that long ago. And you bring up a good point. It really opened things up in a way that, you know, real life escape rooms just couldn't. Uh, it's, it's kind of a fantastic innovation. And I, I hope that even when COVID is, you know, a thing of the past, fingers crossed, that these continue and evolve. And, you know, like they're, they're in their first form right now. You know, if they were a Pokemon, they'd just be, you know, little Pikachu right now. But they're, they're going to get better and better. And I hope that they stick around because they provide something that real life escape rooms don't and can't. Actually, I think that they have evolved and but they can there's so much more that they can do, which is so playing the very first few ones, you can tell it was rough. <laughs> but now, now you can see people are experimenting with things, people see what restrictions they don't have to adhere to. Mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't have to adhere to like real world anymore. No, you don't. <laughs> so they're trying new things and that's fun and that's great. And those are the ones that I, if it, if it, if it's like, if it's me doing an escape room just now, it's just remotely, then I'm not as interested because if I think to myself, oh, I'd rather do this in person, then why am I doing the online version? But yep. But if it's all like, wow, that was amazing, and there's no way I could have done this in person, then I get excited, and I get to play with my friends and family. Anyway, 
anyway, we were talking about you. Uh, we talked about it before the podcast started, but sometimes you and Kiara work on different projects separately and release. Do you do that often? Or it like Carte Rouge was mostly her you were mentioning? And mm-hmm. the funny so, thing is both of you, or is it mostly you with the webcomic? Yep. So um, I wouldn't say that we've, we collaborate in the sense that we provide feedback for each other. Like that's, you know, we're the only two people at this company. So somebody's got to, you know, do that, but we don't design together. So I designed the first series of postcards and then she designed Cart Rouge hundred percent on her own. And oh my gosh, she did so much work on that. Like I'm still, every time I pick up the deck and look at it, I'm just blown away by how much work she put into the illustrations and the puzzles. Um, so that was a big chunk of her time for a while. And while that was happening, I was just kind of getting the itch going, oh, you know, these postcards were fun. Maybe maybe we'll do some more of those. Um, and working on funny pages at the same time. So funny pages was me, but then the postcard series, Kiara designed Trial by Cypher, and then I designed the other three in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, they're they're partitioned out, but really, and we don't put our names on there, I don't think for the most part. I think her name is on Carte Rouge, uh, which felt important because she did so much work on that but for the most part we're just the enigma emporium but if you were to ask us i could point to any given game and tell you which one of us really designed it so do you think your fans can tell the difference i don't know i haven't asked um it's there's not a huge sample size yet mainly because i designed a whole bunch of little games so i feel like i kind of flooded people's senses with all the postcard games and then Kiara has this giant project of Carte Rouge that she did. Um, I don't know if people could tell the difference. That, I'd be curious to ask. Mm-hmm. Well, if people are watching, maybe they can like comment all of the Enigma important. After fan. I just spoiled who designed everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they'll be able to tell like, oh, yeah, I noticed that. That was Kiara. Kiara's touch. Huh. I think we're getting close to the hour here, so I should let you go. I I, I have to stop myself because I have so many things I want to know. It's like, so what's it like working at, with too many chip, chip, chip theory thing? Like, you know, there's all these things. And I'm thinking, ah, I'm going to tangent so much. And I don't have <laughs> man pens here to rein me in. So I have to do it myself. Well, we can do the sequel. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll get man pens in. We'll get Kiara in. And we yes. can do part two. We can definitely do part two. I'd love to hear what Kiara has to say about Carte Rouge, about your experiences with Kickstarter in general, and maybe, maybe when, maybe when funny, uh, funny comics. Sorry, it's called Funny Pages. Funny Pages. Yes, I knew it was that. I was like, funny. It's funny something. It's funny for oh, sure. It's funny. We can we can have another discussion then as well. Oh, and we could probably get your artist in, because huh? I can imagine he spent an awful lot of time. Oh. I would also imagine, too, that'd be really hard because you have to probably tell them, no, can you move that over a bit to the right? <laughs> I and he was so good throughout. So this is my last anecdote. And then I, I promise I'll let you wrap it up. He was no, so I'm good. Throughout. That led you astray again. <laughs> I had one particular comic that I'm going to be a little bit vague on, but it, it, it uses a cipher, but it also has some false leads in there. I probably had to have him for my own. It was my own fault. I had to have him redo that comic six or seven times because my brain kept tripping up as I tried to play testing. Okay, do I have 
the right symbols in here. I think this is good. And then somebody would play death and be like, this doesn't make any sense. And I'd look at it again and go, how did I do this? Alexander, can you can you make these changes again? I'm really sorry, buddy. I'm really sorry. Yeah, when we add art to the mix, especially when you're trying to hide things in art, it you have to be so exact and particular. And then if they spend so much time on it, and then it's like, oh, I need you to redo it. <laughs> and I mean, additionally, and this is something I tried to avoid as much as possible, with art, you have to fill the panel. Like, you can't just like, I'm going to leave this part blank. Here's the puzzle. You have to tread so lightly to try and steer around false leads and red herrings. Because as I mentioned, I hate red herrings and I don't want to purposefully make people waste their time that way, except for maybe once or twice where I was a little evil. But um, it's it's tough with art because, you know, he's filling it in, just doing his artist thing, making it look good. And then I look at it and go, oh, this can be misinterpreted. And they might think this actually relates to this. It's It's a different sort of a beast for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, understood. Anyway, I will let you go. Thank you so much, Logan. So where can people find you on the internet? Yes, yeah, so just... Uh, Mark it away! <laughs> <laughs> uh, TheEnigmaEmporium.com is probably the best place to find us. And that'll have links to everything else. I'd say if you, if you want to follow along with us, our Facebook page is probably the best. Um, we, we've been really bad recently because, again, we're worn out. There was a time for like a year and a half, two years, where we put up a puzzle every Friday on the Facebook page. Oh, right, right. We have right. lapsed on that a little bit. It's not as frequent now, but we post free puzzles. It's a good way to get a sense of what our puzzle aesthetic is like um, without, again, spending money. We're all about letting you figure out if we're right for you before you spend money on us. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll post some behind the scenes and stuff, some previews. We have a, kick, or a Facebook page for funny pages. This was a new thing for us to try. But if you look up funny pages on Facebook, you should find it. And the best part is it has about six preview comics, promo comics. So you can try and solve some of the comics that will not be included in the game. It doesn't spoil anything, Ooh. but they're both really funny. And if I can toot my own horn there um, and you can get a sense of how the puzzles play. So, yeah, uh, the Enigma Emporium on Facebook or just the Enigma Emporium dot com. Great. Thank you so much, Logan. Oh, thank you for having me. This was oh, fantastic. Yeah, it'll be great. And I will definitely have another one of these when, I guess, actually, yeah, let's just book it when when it comes out. And then we will, or when the Kickstarter starts, we'll, we'll have a fun time with, with everybody. And then hopefully I won't be like last minute like it was today. <laughs> I'm going to talk us out. I'm not really going to talk us out. I have no idea what Man Pan says here. Uh, Room Escape Divas is brought to you by InverseGenius.com. I'm just playing yeah. you out, too. Bum, ba -dum, bum, bum. Find all sorts of podcasts on there. She says so many things. <laughs> um, we have a Gmail. And we have our website, RoomEscapeDivas.com. You can tag us. <laughs> I suck at these. I should just should get her to do a recording. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Bye-bye. I got a new haircut. Oh, my goodness. And so I'm, like, looking at it, like, on here, because I think it's the first time my haircut is, like, but it's not. it was cut by my wife. And then my youngest daughter came down and said, that is terrible. 
looks so horrible. And so she tried her best to try to fix it. That's the feedback you're looking for. Yeah. 